me to come out this afternoon. They had something special for me. Just yeah. But then as I continued to pray uh, and worship quickly, I began to realize that this is a word for the church. Amen. And that's not just a word for today, but it's for 2017. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you that the year 2017 is a gift. It's a gift to you from him. Amen. That you will continue to open as each day passes. But just like Christmas is a special occasion, you gather around a tree and there's presence there. It's something deliberate. It doesn't happen by accident. It's something that we set our hearts to do. We set our hearts to celebrate Christmas. And we have Christmas gifts because others have made sacrifices. And we get kind of recognize that, but we devote that time. I believe the Lord is saying, if you'll devote your heart to Him in a new and special way, it's a new year. If you'll give your life to Him in a new way, this present will continue to unwrap. He's got glorious things for you this year. It says the Spirit of the Lord. speaks. Lord, we just thank you for that word right now, and may it be sealed in our hearts. And Lord, we just thank you that uh, 2017 will be a great year. It is a gift. Father, help us to unwrap it at every moment, that every breath, everything that you give to us, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God, we thank you for that, and we just pray a blessing over this day. We thank you, God, that you're moving here, that you're alive and active, and that you're very powerful to save. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. I uh, wanted to talk to you today about reimagining your future. If you wanted to turn in your Bibles real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. As you hold your thumb there, you know you think about our futures, and um, you know the Bible says, "Cast down every imagination, every lofty thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God." Doesn't he? But how many of you know we've got crazy imaginations and crazy thoughts about things in our life sometimes, don't we? Turn to someone and say, "You got some crazy thoughts." We, we build things up, and I want to teach us today to reimagine our futures. And you know how you reimagine your future today? You say, how am I going to reimagine my future? Look at all I do. Because most of us, when we talk about our lives, we basically treat our life like a newspaper, don't we? We read the headlines, everything going on, and that's kind of our future. We say, Pastor, this is my future. This is what's going on. Well, there's this other item, this manuscript that God gave to us, which was the Word of God, which gives us great and precious promises, doesn't it? So when you see the headlines and the things going on in your life, you're going to have to coincide with all the bad news and everything going on, and you're going to have to place that in the hands of God. You have to say, listen, my life's not perfect, everything's not put together. That's not even the point today. Turn to someone real quick and say, your life's not put together. <laughs> but that's not even the point. The point is, is for us to imagine a great future that God has for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I want to set off the new year with this. 
That is what Scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And that's a beautiful promise for you today, a great stepping stone for 2017 for all of us, is to say, God has great, great thoughts towards us. Psalms tells us that, God, your thoughts towards me are innumerable. I don't even, I can't imagine how much you think of me. God is thinking of you all the time, and he has a great imagination. You think about all the flowers, all the crazy uh, animals, and the fish, and the birds. There's some pretty interesting, creative birds out there, isn't there? You think of the woodpecker, what a crazy thing. He just... Hits his head against the thing. What a crazy thing. God thought of that. The blowfish under the ocean, he just, to defend, defend himself, he just, and turns into this big, huge blowfish thing. It's pretty crazy. We imagine your future is to look beyond the past and to look past the failures and missteps. Anybody have any of those this year? And not allow any of them to define you. To reimagine your future is to be a person filled with courage, devotion, and perception. For you are a person looking beyond the present circumstances to a secure future. It's time to reimagine and time to recreate or recreate your were made for this moment. You were born for this time. You will declare this. We were born for such a time as this. You think about your time in life right now in 2017. You think about right now, and you look at where you're at in the place that God has positioned you with, you were created for such a time as this. Number one is courage. Mark Twain writes, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. You know, every one of us has been scared. Anybody been scared of anything before? I had a pretty conquering moment I was, uh, my wife was in the kitchen, we were both in the kitchen together, she was working on something, and I very quietly, I saw a spider in our ceiling. Scary moment here at our house. And I touched, and I pushed it up there, I go, Ann, I got a spider, and you didn't even know it. Normally I'm hollering and screaming, and this moment, it was a very quiet, conquering of fear moment. Can, we, can you give me a hand real quick? Just... Not to make light on fear, because every one of us has some things we're pretty afraid of. Every one of us has some really deep, dark things that uh, we're pretty scared of. And we need courage. And Oz Guinness writes this, The present stage of history and the character of the advanced modern world have combined to throw down a gauntlet before the Church of the West that is as decisive as Rome's demand that Christians offer incense to the Caesar as Lord. As we shall see, the challenge to the Western church is subtle, but unprecedented in scale, and it must be answered with a courageous no to everything that contradicts the call of our Lord. Whatever the cost and whatever the outcome, is Jesus Lord or are the forces of the advanced modernity Lord? The church cannot say no to all that contradicts its Lord as a church that is well down the road to a cultural defeat and captivity. But the courage to say no has to be followed by equally clear and constructive yes to the Lord himself, to his gospel, and to his vision of life, humanity, and the future, so that Christians can be seen to live differently and to live better in the world of today. Folks, that's a pretty huge statement, but where it's going to lie for us 
And the Western church today, for all of us to have courage, is to say no to everything that contradicts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't have some of God and some of His concepts working in your life, and these principles, we treat God like some rule principle book, and some thing to follow as opposed to a relationship saying, God, you are Lord of my life. Folks, it's time to say no to some things in our new year. Joshua 1, verse 9. Why don't we turn there real quick. Joshua chapter 1, dealing with fear. One of the greatest verses of Scripture in the Bible on dealing with fear. Joshua had to conquer. He was taking over for Moses. How many of you know taking and filling Moses' sandals is a pretty big deal? We all have shoes to fill. And that are pretty big deals for our life too. And God says, you're going to do it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Actually, you know, we're going to start in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. The one who will lead these people to possess the land I swore to their ancestors, I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged or be afraid. Isn't that pretty amazing that God kept saying, be strong, be courageous. Don't fear, don't be afraid. For all of us, he's saying the same thing. Be strong and be courageous right now where you're at. Every one of us needs to have be built up in the courage of the Lord for our life and dealing with those things. By the way, dealing with phobias and the future for all of us. There's one website I looked up that actually has listed 530 phobias. One comment on this website about people with phobias and dealing with every one of those. Every one of us has got a fear in here. We could go through and list them all. We could start on this side and this side. Some of them might seem silly or small. Some of them might be significant. But how many of you know our imagination can play pretty crazy games with us and make what seems insignificant really big and insurmountable to us? It's, it's cited 530 phobias. One person said, a person can be afraid of anything, making the possible list of phobias endless. So every one of us has got phobias and situations and fears. Very real fears. Joshua 8.1 goes on to say, in fact, turn to Joshua 8.1. Joshua getting ready to conquer that major city. God speaks to him again. Then the Lord said to Joshua, what did he tell Joshua? Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men to attack Ai, for I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. It's something that happens in all of our life with dealing with courage. But I tell you what, dealing with courage, I saw this line here. Why don't we all read this together? You ready? If we are to better the future, we must disturb the present. I never saw that quote before. Maybe some of you have heard that one or saw that one before. But that was a new one to me, and it was really interesting for this new year for all of us, is disturbing the present is really going to be important for all of our lives to really understand the future for all of us. That, by the way, was Catherine Booth, the wife of the founder of the Salvation Army. And if anybody had the right to speak to that, it would be that husband and wife who have literally turned the world upside down with the Salvation Army and the gospel presented through it. But disturbing the present for your life, I don't know what you have to disturb. But I know that every battle you face, there's going to be a lot of dust risen up. 
There's going to be a lot of dirt. There's going to be a lot of grime. There's going to be a lot of day-to-day saying, you know what? I am not going to deal, deal with this anymore. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to push at it. I'm going to get everything involved with this. Paul declared it like this. I beat my body into submission daily. Think about that. You know, we grow too comfortable with our stuff. We grow too comfortable with our circumstances. We almost get to the place where we kind of raise the white flag up and we just say, you know what, it's not even worth the fight anymore. We kind of sit and snuggle with our circumstances and we almost get to the point, and maybe some of us have, where we feel sorry for ourselves. And there's no more courage anymore. There's no more, you know what, God's got great plans and I'm going to take courage and I'm going to go after this thing. We need to wake up to things and make bold declarations, by the way. Some of our declarations have been a little too small. Turn to someone and say, are your declarations a little too small? I'm not talking about manageable prayer declarations. I'm not talking about things that you can kind of work out and reason through. That's garbage. That's hoo-ha. Fooey on that. We need to have big, big courage and dreams. By the way, Joshua taking over for Moses was not a manageable thing for him to do. Not a manageable thing. Conquering these cities and taking the battle of Jericho. Talk about insurmountable. By the way, the things that you're going to go after this year are going to be insurmountable to you and to me. Insurmountable. Big. But you're going to have to disturb the present. Disturbing the atmosphere in your situation. By the way, Jesus was really good at disturbing very cold, callous situations. Turn real quick to John chapter 11. He didn't bode very well around cemeteries, did he? He didn't bode well around death. Around disease. He didn't like the present stuff. He didn't like temples that were overrun with greedy priests. Jesus had this real problem with disturbing and disrupting the present set of circumstances, didn't he? Jesus was not a very safe guy to be around, in other words. You won't be comfortable around Jesus. Everyone says, no, I wish I was alive around Jesus' time. No, no. No, see, the Jesus of the church now, everybody gets to play with and pet and stuff. The Jesus in the New Testament that we see, this was a Jesus that would make you scratch your head for a minute. John chapter 11, I actually said this, thank you, God, I wasn't born during this time. John chapter 11, 1 through 44, the raising of Lazarus. You've got to understand here what Jesus was saying and how he came to defy the present set of circumstances, and he took courage in the middle of it. In fact, I want you to understand that when Jesus goes in there, and actually said he groaned, the groaning that he experienced with Lazarus actually talks about anger. He was upset. It wasn't that just a groaning and a weeping that he lost his good friend. It was a groaning that they did not see that Jesus was present in their midst, willing to do something greater than they ever knew before. He groaned. And we need to take courage right now today to start groaning again. To be agitated enough to say, change can be done. I am sick of saying, this must be God's will in my life. 
Mary and Martha didn't understand that in their midst wasn't just a good man. He was the miracle working creator of the universe. John chapter 11, it's a long thing, but I want us to go through it because it's beautiful how Jesus sets this up. John chapter 11, 1 through 44. By the way, to have courage means that it doesn't work out in your time, it works out in God's time. You can't make God do something, you can't stand on a dime, you can't fast four more days and then God all of a sudden moves. God moves when he wants to move. But we must take courage and stand for the word of God and go after the things in his life for us. A man named Lazarus was sick, verse 1 in chapter 11. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light of this world. But the night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Was there any mincing of words there? What is Jesus saying symbolically? I mean, what does he mean here? What's this? What's this? Theological explanation. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Jesus, or Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. And when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary, or Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. You guys ready for this discourse? Yes, Martha said, he will rise again. When everyone rises again on the last day, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection of life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed the blind man, but couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? How many know he's going to start swelling up a little bit more anger there? And Jesus was still angry. 
as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Folks, it's an amazing thing that when we start to believe God and his promises, what crazy things start to happen. Jesus did some disturbing. And you know, for some of us, we get to the point, don't we, where we see things that are dead, and over here, and there were stones rolled over it, and we've signed it off. But I want you to know that the eternal Christ the Savior hasn't signed it off. It just might be that Christ wants to disturb some things in your life and my life. It just might be in all the comfort and all the mourning and all the ceremony that they go through and this funeral procession and all that they do, Christ comes there to say, I want no part of this. I want to raise this man back to life. Do you believe me? And folks, the question and the courage for us that we gain is say, Christ, do I believe you or do I believe the present set of circumstances that have been dictating my life for the past 15, 20 years? And your life, where do you need to disturb the present? Many of us have said to Christ, that's how come we give up on prayer. Lord, if you would have been here earlier, things would have been better. How many have said that before? Be honest. Lord, if you just would have done this a little earlier, it would have been so much better. But see, Christ says, listen, I'm doing all this so that the Son of Man gets glory, so that I get glory, not you. Second thing that starts to happen is we start to build courage and we start to believe God and we start to kind of disturb the present in our own lives. We start to understand what devotion means in being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because following Christ, He's going to throw things on us. He's going to do things that we haven't seen before or imagined. He's going to do things that we can't explain, that we can't add up. And He's also going to do things that might frustrate us. One game that I used to love to play in grade school was tetherball. Does anybody remember tetherball? I remember, yeah, I was, I was at Spring Creek, and we would play, and we'd go out and recess, and we'd play either kickball or tetherball. And it was amazing whenever you do tetherball. No matter how hard you hit the ball, you know, it'd go around and around, and you'd want to hit that as high as you could so the person on the other side couldn't get the ball. And once that ball wrapped up and hit the pole, you won. Yeah, you're... But it was crazy because with tetherball, it was a string with a rope. Nowadays, you don't do that because all sorts of liabilities come up. You get your arms tied off and your neck tied off and you're hitting the ball. and you're at, You get back in from the class and you've got bruises everywhere from tetherball. But one thing was really neat about tetherball was that ball never left the pole. And folks, many of us, we can get beaten around. We can get bruised. We can get thrown aside. We can get thrown out this way and that way. But you know what? As long as you're devoted to Christ... You're right there. He becomes the circumference. He's the center of everything for your life. Rick Lawrence writes, The kind of waiting that is risky and courageous isn't about trying harder. It's about the stamina produced by a closer orbit around Jesus. You know, for being devoted in that waiting period for all of us, maybe in 2017, and maybe 2017 isn't too great. Maybe 2017 is simply another orbit around Christ and saying, you know what, at the end of this year, I want to be someone completely devoted in my orbit around Jesus Christ. You might not have a miracle breakthrough this year. You might not have anything substantially different this year other than the fact 
that you are simply a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Would that be okay with you? Jesus is the bread of life. Turn real quick to John chapter 6 and the devotion part of our life and being devoted to Christ. And this is where Jesus starts to get crazy on us. Turn around and say, Jesus is crazy. See, we miss what Jesus is saying in all of these. Jesus feeds the people. He feeds the 5,000. They're really, they're really excited about him. People are following him. They see him doing all these things. They mean, man, this guy's a great guy. He provided just like in the wilderness. Man, we're going to follow this guy. He's special. He's fantastic. Another long chapter, a discourse of Jesus going through and understanding that I'm the bread of life. And that he said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. He's preaching this to thousands of people now. You have no part of me. And imagine everyone starting to scratch their head. Now, what is this guy saying? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Genesis, or Genesis, John chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus, the bread of life, the next day the crowd had stayed on the far shore, saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tibius landed nearby the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats, went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want, to, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that interesting? They answered, show us miraculous signs if you want us to believe you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. And the scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who has sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not even lose one of all those he has given to me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who have seen his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on that last day. And then the people began to murmur, and in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. This again, he's saying, I'm God. And then the people began to murmur, I'm sorry. They said, isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say he came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them to me, and on the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not, the, not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, has seen them. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, 
but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing. Isn't this getting crazy now? With each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who has sent me. And in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. I read all this stuff just to show you how this is building up. And it's crazy. Here's the next title. Many disciples desert Jesus. Jesus was aware of this, that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think of if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Our eternal life, human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. And then he said, that is why I said to the people, can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to his twelve and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe, we know, you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is the devil. And he was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. It's interesting how Jesus asked his disciples the same question. He said, hey, you want to go now too? He had a big following, big crowds, big people, a good church service. Wouldn't we agree? And then he throws out this gauntlet and realizes, what are you devoted to? Do you want me to do a little miracle? Do you want me to come out and put a little cute little mascot suit on and do something for you, show you a miracle so you can all clap and cheer? Because here's a follower of Jesus Christ. If you drink my blood and eat my flesh, and that's when we start to murmur and we argue and when we complain. I tell you this, the world is not offended by a miracle worker. Know that today. If you today were given the gift of healing and started blessing and healing people, you would have scores of people all over you, wouldn't you? But when you start to say, now Jesus is the name above every name, he is the only way by which to heaven, by which you must be saved. Now all of a sudden devoted followers start going, you are kooky. See, devoted followers are people who are in essence Hated like Jesus was hated. They will mistreat you. They will talk bad about you. That's the call of a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We just got in the mail the Voice of the Martyrs calendar. And it, what, you, what it is, it's a, it's a calendar to pray for all the people across the nations of the world that are under fierce persecution. These devoted followers across the globe are giving it all because they are drinking his blood and eating his flesh. They're devoted followers. And you today, and me today, and the Western Church in America, though we may not face this kind of persecution, you will get persecuted by those. Persecution comes in every shape and size. 
but stand for Jesus and count it all joy. What we need to do in the Western Church in America again is we need that joy again to understand that I'm a devoted follower of Jesus and that God has got a plan for my life. And you know what? Other people might not be following after him, but I'm going to be the one to follow hard after Jesus Christ. Rick Lawrence writes, there's a method behind Jesus, Jesus' madness. He's winnowing those who've pledged allegiance to him by asking them to wholly ingest him. This is no wine-tasting party. He's inviting them to where they can swill a little Jesus around in their mouth and spit him out, so to speak. The invitation is to a feast. On this day, many will stop following him because of his insistence that he is God. Will you make me the main course of your life, or will you treat me like the flavor of the day? Folks, Jesus is going to have to be the main course. And not just something for us. Not just a cute little taste. Not just, well, God's good in this part of my life. But completely being devoted, ingesting all of who Christ is. Being devoted to an unsafe God. Rick Lawrence goes on to write, unsafe but good. We've heard this one before. And something in our soul knows it's true. The older we get, the more we have experienced how unsafe it is to follow Jesus. Amid the disappointment of our unmet hopes and dreams and the agony of our wounds and struggles, Jesus remains frustratingly good. He does not always do what we want, but is always doing what we need. And his estimation of the difference between these two words sometimes rankles us. You know, sometimes you want God to do something. God, do this miracle, do that, and please do this. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to break through in your life. But at the same point in time, rest in the devoted understanding that Christ, every step of the way, has everything in your life, every path that you're following, under control. It's a beautiful thing. You're going to places with Christ that you never thought you would. How many of you in your devotion to Christ, you say, man, I didn't plan I'd go down this road. (laughs) Didn't plan, and it rankles us, because he doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. Folks, I'm telling you, be like that tetherball. Tie yourself to him. 2017, I'll tell you, nothing, can, nothing has to shake you. You can have a spirit like Joshua and understanding that I can be courageous in fear and have a devotion like these disciples as everyone's walking away and saying, you know, we'll go, you know I know tons of people, they just kind of walk away from Christ and when things are great, they, they're over here doing their thing and when things are really bad, Pastor Steve, I need prayer. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? And God works in that, and there's grace there. So I'm not mocking that, but at the same point in time, Christ is looking for followers. He's looking for folks to say, you know what, I don't understand everything in my life. And young person, when you're in this situation at school, and you're the only one standing for God, be the devoted follower of Christ. At work, don't complain when you're the only person that's a light there. You're there for a reason. At your home, when everyone else is confused and everyone else is frustrated with this and that, you don't have to share the same frustration. Because you're tethered to Him. And people can hit you, but guess what? You spin back around, you're still connected to the pole. They might hit you high, they might hit you low. Everyone's saying, "Uh uh-oh. No, (laughs) 
tie yourself to him no matter what. Turn to someone and say, bump him and say, tie yourself to him no matter what. The third part's going to be your perception. I believe in 2017, if there's something that's going to have to change in all of our lives, it's going to have to be perception. What you perceive about yourself, what you think you know about yourself, but that's not really there. The lies of the enemy that we absorb. You think about the call of call of God in our life. Moses was called in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. He says, who am I to go and stand and appear before the Pharaoh? Who am I, God? Moses' perception was a perception of defeat. It was a perception built on insecurity because of the speech impediment. All those kinds of things. You say, God, how can I appear before the Pharaoh and get anything accomplished? I can't even get a full sentence out. Anybody argue like that with God? We argue with God like Moses. What if they won't believe me, or what if they won't listen to me? You know, we have our what-ifs, and our perceptions now become a bunch of what-if scenarios. But, but what if, and what if this, and what if that? Well, what if? So what? Reimagining your future will require that you take a different vantage point about yourself. It will also require you to look past the faults and the situations and your loved ones. Do you know that? You want your perceptions to change inside your home. Some of us have perceptions of our loved ones. You say, well, that's not a false perception. They do this, Pastor, and they do that. And look at this. And say, well, yeah, but do you see a completed work there? Do you see someone through the eyes of Christ? Do you allow the love of Christ to cover that person so that that person can go into their future with you? Because if all your perception is, is based on your circumstances, you will never have a future. And you will never give anyone a future. Do you know you can be a giver of a future? You as a parent or a loved one, do you know when you pray over your children, pray blessings over them. When you see your children, bless them. When you see things about them and in their room and you see things going on, you can say, Lord, I want to speak to those things and I give them life and I speak life to that. And your perceptions will change. You will start to have energy about the things that you're involved with. I was trying to talk to someone about them changing their perception about their situation. It's a very icky situation, and I don't want to get too detailed about it. But they're dealing with a divorce and yada yada. And I told the dad this one thing. I said, here's what I want you to do this week. It's kind of crazy changing our future, our perception. You can't change all this stuff over here, I told them. But you know what you can do? You can tell your daughter about this one particular thing. You can say, I want you to honor your mother. Amen. And the perception will start to change. It has nothing to do with about you liking their mother or not. But teach that child. Give her a perception to say, you know what, I want to honor my parents. The Bible declares this, to honor your father and mother so that your life may go long. You don't have to agree with them, but you can honor them. See, we want God to do the miracle. Do the miracle, God. I want to break through God. God, I pray that you restore this. But are you willing to put in the time 
Are you willing to change your mind and your perceptions about the reality and the imaginations you're creating right now? I want a new future, God. I love what Kim Clement said. He's a prophet. He just passed away. But he always said, what you perceive, you be. And he said, what you perceive, you become. And if you perceive yourself as the loser, as you perceive yourself as all of these kind of things, you will actually become that. If you're an insecure person today, and there's nothing wrong dealing with those things, and God blossoms in you, but you know what? If you feel that way, you go that way, and you're always walking around with your head down, you will never be able to get into your future. You're going to have to someday force yourself up and get the chin up and start saying, you know what? I'm going to be who God called me to be. Well, this is just me. Well, no, it's not. Don't you remember the person back in the day skipping and dancing and having fun and joking? Don't you remember that one? You've become that person. Many times we have said, I am who I am. How many have said that? It's not in who you are, it's in who he is. Our, prophet, our, our, our prayers need to be something like this. And maybe it starts with us. Lord, help me to see. You know, when the prophet saw they had the army was encamped around them. Oh, look, we've got that army. We've got all those problems. We've got this, and we have that. And look at this, and look at that. We've got all these problems here. Don't you love the problem finders? Thanks, I didn't notice that. Well, we have these problems. We've got to fix it. Thank you for telling me about that. Like I didn't know about it. Some of us, by the way, are going to need to step away from some of those problem people in our lives and say, you know what? This isn't healthy, and I need to step into this now. Until the conversation changes, I need to go after this. Our prayer is like the prophet who said, Lord, help my servant to see. Because the servant said, look, we're surrounded by all these problems. And the prophet said, yes, but do you see those who are with us are far greater than those who are against us. See, you didn't see the outline beyond the problem, behind the mess, behind all of that. We have this mighty army's host that are standing at attention and they're going to they're totally thwart this enemy of yours. Today, as you and I reimagine our future, we take courage and we have devotion and we do have a new perception. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Father, help us today, right now, in this place, to reimagine the future. Lord, it's not to say that times won't be tough or get tougher. It's not to say that at all. But it is also to say that there is victory in the midst of our toughest circumstances. 
And it is to say that no matter what the battle is, you're declaring over us victory. And that you're saying, take courage, don't fear. Have courage. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I always want to start with a simple call. Maybe you've been in the church a long time. Maybe you've been around church folk. Maybe that's a good thing for you or a bad thing for you. But today, you can honestly say that in 2017, I don't know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I've asked Him to do miracles and this and that, but I don't have that relationship that I'm tethered to. And today I want you to know that no matter if your life's going in circles and spinning out of control, you may seem that way, Jesus Christ is right there in the middle of that moment. He's right in the center of that storm today. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, He wants to come in and give you new life today. What a, what a perfect day to do this. Today this isn't about exercising more or doing this more or doing that more. It's simply allowing God to be God. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to know Him today as your Lord and Savior, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Today, maybe you need some courage, and right now, you need to disturb the present in order for there to be a brighter future. And you've kind of slack back, and whether it's your perception of it, whether it's courage or devotion, whatever it may be, something in this message has maybe agitated you or affected you today, you say, you know what, I have settled, and I have spoken things like maybe Moses has, saying, who am I to do this? And God is calling you to great things, and he does want to show you great things that you don't know about. Things that you haven't seen with your own eye. But today, maybe you start to imagine those things. And allowing God to invade the space and do something miraculous in your life. Today, if that's you, and God's speaking to you in that, those areas, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I thank you for the life you've given to me. I pray for courage right now, Father, for the situations I'm facing. I thank you, God, for victory. I don't know how it will come. I don't know all the timing of it. But I rest today in knowing that you are God and I am not. And I tether myself to you I devote my life to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In me and through me in 2017. In Jesus' name. Amen. God's going to do some pretty cool things. Some you may not see. Some you may see very clearly, but know this, that God is at work, and I love you guys very much. It's been, a, been an awesome, awesome year. I want to put together, maybe next week we'll get some slideshows of some of the things we did with the families that we blessed and all of that. So, you know, it's kind of crazy when all Christmas and all the holiday stuff's done, we kind of go, okay, it's done, on to the new thing, and we kind of, kind of forget. And anyway, I just 
this new year is going to be a beautiful, beautiful year. And uh, what God has for Turning Point, I have no idea. But it's going to be good. So, love you guys very much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.